say when I give you instructions. What's he doing? We're studying the book of Leviticus. Would you please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you've uh, been in our class for any time, we've been through 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then over to Hebrews uh, and everything, and they seem to be interrelated, I think is the best word I can think of. Uh, am I on that? Oh, okay, thank you. Um, they're interrelated. And as we're studying Leviticus, after having studied Hebrews, which said that these things back here, that the Lord had revealed to those two men on the road to Emmaus and given them an exposition of all things that applied to him in the Old Testament. Um, all of this is interrelated. But in particular, since we're going to go back to Leviticus and begin to talk about those sacrifices and such, uh, sin offerings, peace offerings, everything, uh, we need to uh, take a look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. A particular interest in that chapter beginning in verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, which one was that? Ten Commandments. The ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, and it was so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was what? Passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory... The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, give us a sense this morning of the glory that excels, the one that is in our hearts and in our minds it is glorious, not passing away. It is eternal. And we ask, dear Father, that you help us to mold and weave these things together in the fashion that you would have us to understand. Bless our time together here in this class, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, go back to Leviticus chapter 1 and 2. We were in... Um, there's a lot here. The more I study, the crazier it seems to get. It just gets complex. And, uh, uh, and yet, at the same time, it comes clearer as to what it was all about. 
And I think that as he expressed it to those disciples on the, on the road to Emmaus, and that's the reason we have entitled our, our, our study in the book of Leviticus uh, on the road to Emmaus, you can be sure that Christ spoke to them from this book a lot of things from this very book. I'm sure he did a lot of others from the prophets and all of those kind of things too. But uh, from here, what these things meant. And the Apostle Paul in particular, as we've studied him, calls this the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. Wow. Do we understand? Well, let me tell you what. Uh, the uh, cattle family here, Teresa, you'll know this. If I were to take a calf out there to the gate of the temple and slit its throat, it's kind of gory, isn't it? And then the priests run up and get the blood and collect the blood and stop splashing it all over the, the altar that is there in the gate, just inside the gate of the tabernacle. It's gory. This isn't pretty. And neither was Calvary. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. Everything is fitted together to communicate what would be by using symbols, figures, shadows as they are related, uh, uh, called in the New Testament. All these things are shadows. All these things are figures. They point to something that was to come, I should say, someone who was to come. And one of the first sacrifices that we find in Leviticus is where they bring a cow, a calf, uh, to, the, uh, uh, to, to, the, to the gate of the uh, tabernacle and kill it there in front of everybody. I'm sure that many people say, well, why in the world would God do that? Why would he have these figures having to do with killing of animals? Until you read, as we have already read, that it was to be an animal without spot. Hello? I can think of only one person without spot. How about you? I think I know him, or he knew me first. But I do know him. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. Without spot. Symbolized by this calf who is killed and slaughtered right in front of people just like Jesus was. And so that's what this is about. 
Now, it gets a little deeper than that as we go when we talk about the grain offering and a few other things, but it's all related to one thing, and that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the future. Here at about, depending on which writer that you're looking at, about 1,500 or 1,600 years before Christ. Wow. All of a sudden, the study gets really interesting, doesn't it? And that's exactly what we want you to have, the attitude and the, uh, uh, the mindset as we go through the book of Leviticus. It's about Christ. When people ask me, what are you studying in Sunday school? I say, the gospel according to Leviticus. That's exactly right. That's what I tell them. This is a prediction of the gospel. All of this is. This is breathed out by the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing short of that. It is authored by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's what he's done from the beginning is to reveal and to glorify Jesus Christ. He did it in Genesis. He did it in Exodus. And now he does it in Leviticus. All of these things are intertwined perfectly, beautifully. Well, I shouldn't say beautifully. They are beautifully bound together, but they certainly are not always beautiful things. I am sure that you have all have heard sermons regarding the, and including graphic descriptions of Calvary's cross. I can only tell you it's probably worse than what you think. It wasn't pretty. He was spotless, a lamb without spot. And they took him and slaughtered him. And so we see that in this book of Leviticus that we're studying right now. Now, I'm not going to go back over uh, uh, chapter 1. Chapter 1 is one of the most important in the entire book, believe it or not, in my opinion. I'm going to do a little kind of a, uh, what shall you say, an assessment of this book in just a moment. But... uh, 38 times, according to my count, I'm, I, I now ask this as a, as a question. What book records more direct talk from God to man in the Bible? What book? Leviticus. 38 times. It says... Now the Lord called or spoke to Moses. Now God spoke to Moses. Now God spoke to 38 times. There's more direct talk from God to mankind in this book than any place else in the Bible. And so it's an extremely important book. I'm glad we came here in a way, but um, Ron, I blame you. (laughs) 
yeah, he wanted that, so I, I volunteered to do it, and I've been, been shooting myself in the head ever since. <laughs> it's a difficult task, but it, it's beautiful, wonderful, and it is one of the most important things that we'll study probably in our lifetime um, uh, because it is that shadow of Jesus Christ that was to come almost 16 or 1700 years after this was written. Um, I like um, um, the continuing thing uh, about he shall offer it of his own free will and he shall put his head, a hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to do what? Make atonement for him. What's that all about? The transference of your sins I'm talking today to Jesus Christ. Your sins were transferred and imputed to the account of Jesus Christ hanging on Calvary's cross. He died like these bulls for you. Taking your sin away as far as east is from the west. Is that not glorious? So the putting of hands on was to identify and to accept that calf, that cow, as a sacrifice of atonement. We, in the same way, by faith, put our approval upon Christ. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the saving of our souls. You know what I have been thinking about mostly this week as I've studied? What did these worshipers think as they came, pulling the calf behind them, approaching the gate to this tabernacle? What was their mindset? And then I tried to remember what was mine before I was born anew by the Spirit of God. I know you get tired of listening to personal testimonies, but I was once an unbeliever. Yes, all of you were. <laughs> but I was a, a rabid unbeliever. I thought it was all silly nonsense what you people believe. And then these men had the, had the uh, audacity to come to my house and start preaching to me that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that does good. I said, oh, come on. I'm one. I do all of those things. I do good things. Huh? I, all that kind of stuff. They kept that up until I threw them out of my house. And then I went for months saying, gosh, I, I defeated those Bible-thumping, 
fundamentalist didn't I? I went about my way until six months after that. All that time, something was rolling up inside my soul. And to use the Apostle Paul's words, and the law came and I died. I had the deepest sense of sin that I have ever felt, ever. Unclean from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, I was ready to commit suicide. What had those men left me? The Word of God. The Word of God. Now the guilt, the guilt, the guilt comes first. One of the things that I, in evangelism, that I fear sometimes is that we don't focus enough on the sin part. But for me, the first thing that happened was a conviction of sin, so deep, so hard, so awful, that I thought I was ready to die. Did these worshipers feel that? When they put their hands on the head of that calf, what was going through their minds? I think they understood that there was some sort of identity. That is to say that therefore this animal will be my atoning sacrifice. I think they knew that. Did they have that deep-seated sense of sin? I'm not so sure. I don't find it described very candidly in, this, in these scriptures. But I'm telling you right now, if you've never had that sense of sin, one might wonder whether you are in Christ today. These people did have a sense of sin and they were obeying what Moses had said. Come and bring this animal. Lay your hands on its head. Identify with it and then kill it. My sins killed Jesus Christ. Does anybody want to join me? We all join. <laughs> We all do. My sins killed Jesus Christ. He died for me and for you. He is like this bull. And we identify with him by faith, not by laying our hands on a cow, but by faith. For me, the height of this is Romans 5 and 6. It talks about that double, what I call double imputation. By faith, my sins were imputed to Christ. And his righteousness was imputed to me. What? I have Christ's righteousness? Yes, I 
before sovereign God of the universe, I'm seen using the imagery of the book of Revelation, wearing a white robe, clean as a pen, bearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that I'm going to enter in by the, Christ, uh, by the blood of Christ, period, completely. Everything is dependent upon that. And so what do you see the first thing? The life is in the blood, the scripture says. And so the first thing that they do is that the worshiper had to kill this animal themselves. Yeah. I don't know if we do that kind of stuff anymore, but it's pretty graphic, isn't it? And then blood spurts and flows from that wound. And here come the priests with the hyssop, dipping it in there and splashing it on the altar. By the way, the altar, I'm, I was interested in this altar because it's pretty important that just inside the gate of the tabernacle made out of uh, bronze and, uh, uh, or wood overladen by bronze. And it's a fairly large thing. It's about three and a half feet high uh, pretty high. It's about eight feet or seven and a half to eight feet wide, square. Pretty good sized thing. And so they take this around and they spread the blood. And as you know, even the high priest could, uh, could go into the most holy place once a year. And what was the qualification with that? and not without blood. The whole thing is about blood. Hmm, gory, eh? Yeah, I see it. I see the blood flowing from my Savior's brow down across his eyes and face as he's hung there for me. I'm ashamed when I think of that. But when I think of it now, I rejoice with a mixture of sadness and glory. He's not a bull. He's not a lamb. Figuratively, he is. He's the Passover lamb. But all of this is being communicated by these Offerings, and especially this first one. Now, they bring that thing, kill it, and then skin it. Y'all would probably have a hard time worshiping back in those days, wouldn't you? You have to skin your animal after you. Uh, I don't even know. I, I've, I've done some skinning myself uh, on farms and stuff, but I don't think I could handle that today. That'd be pretty tough. But nonetheless, they had to do that. And then they would lay it out, those parts that had been preserved, the larger part of this animal uh, on that rather large grill, if you will, the altar, and it would be burned. 
as a sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord. I'm thinking to myself, in what way does that communicate Christ? Was Christ a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord? You betcha. Symbolically, this is Christ. What did they do with that? How much of it did they burn? Leviticus chapter 1. Every bit until it disappeared. Nothing was kept. It wasn't used for food. There are some that are. We'll get to those in the next few chapters. But this one was not. It was totally consumed by the flames. And it was called a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. It clearly communicates Jesus Christ as an offering. Now, we're going to be challenged to try to make those connections throughout this book. And the next one, the grain offering, is going to be even tougher. Let's uh, uh, pause just for a moment, and I want to go back and give a little something, an outline. Would you please turn, keep your finger at Leviticus chapter 1 and turn, turn to Le, uh, chapter 16. At the end of chapter 16, the beginning of 17. Hold that in your hand and flip it back and forth. These have to do, the first part of this book has to do with the, uh, what shall you say, the technical aspects of the offerings that are to be made, the various kinds, the procedures, all of that kind of thing. Uh, if, if I may um, term it in terms of symbolic language, the theology part. What it meant and what it did and so forth and so on. That first part has to do with those sacrifices and the meaning of them, the theological meaning of them. From chapters 17 onward to the book, uh, to the end of the book at chapter 27, has to do with something that I think is significant and I want you to take note of it. It has to do with holiness. Holiness unto the Lord. It's more instructional of how to be holy before, the God, before God. We are fortunate to sit in a church where our pastor is passionate about holiness. As he ought to be. We are not saved so that we can kind of rock on out till we die. We are saved unto holiness. That we might grow in holiness and sanctification more and more. Even to age 81. I still got a ways to go. That's what this book is about. Leviticus. Theology, holiness, and practice. 
Guess what? There are other writers who do exactly this. Do you know about, think about the Apostle Paul writing the book of Romans. My favorite book of the Bible, or it used to be. Now it's Habakkuk. No. Uh, Romans. It's written, the first part is heavily theological, eh? Yeah. And the latter part is what? Pretty much instructional, very much like this one. It has two parts, if you will. You've got the heavy-duty uh, 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 theological part in the beginning, and then toward the end you have application, pastors would put it, lessons to be learned and application. So the, the, uh, the literary style of Moses and how it's been revealed to him kind of mirrors some of the regular uh, uh, books that we see in the New Testament. We see that in a number of places, the Apostle Paul being one of the most obvious. Same is true in Galatians and so forth and so on. You'll find this kind of uh, flow uh, in the books of the Bible. I just find it delightful to see that in the book of Leviticus, uh, that, that it has both of these aspects. Now back to the first chapter. We are... We had uh, uh, a burnt sacrifice. The, the chapter one ends with, and he shall uh, split it at his wings. He's talking about the uh, bird that, was, uh, that wasn't completely severed, but shall not divide it completely, and the priest shall burn it on the altar of the wood that is on the fire, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then comes when anyone offers a grain offering. And he shall pour oil in it and put on it and put frankincense on it. Sounds almost like a cooking kind of thing, right? Yes, we have to think about this. Did we're Antelope ever offered on an altar in the book of Leviticus? No. A possum? No. All the foods, lambs, calves, all of those things were clean animals, quote, and they were for food. There is this line of thinking. I think it is God condescending to man so that he can understand. They're all made like food, even cakes. And much of it will soon, as we will learn, some of it is offered up on the altar and then the remainder is kept for the priests to eat. And then there are those in which the offerer eats. Interesting. And so the book is full of so many things that we're going to really engage in some study of. And uh, I'm enjoying the study. Uh, if you will be patient with an, with an old man that studies for about 30 minutes at a max and then he has to take a break. 
and then study for another 30 minutes sometime later, and then for another 30 minutes. Uh, it's, it's a slow process for this old man, but I'm enjoying it very much as we study through this book. I recall um, uh, preaching through this once. I don't think I ever treated it as deeply as I intend to do it here. Uh, and I remember it from my seminary years. I don't, I'm not going to take you back to seminary and then do all of that kind of stuff. But I certainly remember it as I was yawning in class. <laughs> uh, how much did I miss when I was yawning? But when you start class at 7 o'clock in the morning and you don't finish until 2 in the afternoon, it gets long. And then you take a quick nap and head to work and work 10 hours. Hey, it's tough out there. So anyway, I'm, maybe I'm getting a chance to refresh my memory of these marvelous things that my professors uh, taught me back in those days. But we're going to be talking about the various kinds of offering and, and um, uh, all of those things. And particularly, we're going to try to make the leap every time over to the New Testament as we did this morning when we cited... 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul called it there a ministry of what? And there's another word, ministry of condemnation. The law came and I died, the Apostle Paul said. By the law is the knowledge of sin. And it is here this is what, this is the law that uh, the book of, or 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is talking about. It is the ministry of death and condemnation. As you can plainly see, the death in this instance was vicarious. It was the animals primarily. One of condemnation because it brought to reality your sin and the need for atonement and that you cannot enjoy the presence of God without atonement. That's theology and beautiful theology. The only way we enjoy the presence of our Lord is through a sacrifice and our knowledge of that sacrifice. So we're going to be studying a whole bunch of stuff. I hope you'll uh, bear with me as I go fairly, uh, pretty slowly through this as I get my feet, so to speak. But I think we'll be able to, after some preliminary stuff and a couple of chapters, we'll be able to kind of speed it up as we get through. If you want to do some interesting reading that might be profitable, go back to the book of uh, Exodus and read about the construction of the tabernacle with its... Uh, uh, <clears throat> description of the, particularly the um, measurements. How big was that uh, um, altar that I'm talking about where they offered by fire? And it was um, five cubits. Anybody remember from any of your training in church what a cubit is in the scripture? Ah, Interesting. It's the distance from the top of my finger here to my elbow. It's about a foot four. 
one foot four inches, or about that, one foot five inches. And it was five cubits, which make it about seven, seven and a half feet, or thereabouts, square. And was raised off the ground three cubits, which is about four feet. And uh, uh, pretty big, uh, pretty big uh, uh, grill, if you're cooking on it, I suppose. But it's taking large offerings and small offerings. There's a whole complicated collection of ashes, and they're to be dumped where? Good. Outside the camp. Who went outside the camp for us? Amen. He went outside the camp. That's what it's all about. Figuratively speaking, you'll find that several places. And we go outside the camp according to the book of Hebrews with Christ. Amen? Amen. Beautiful stuff. It's just absolutely gorgeous stuff when you start thinking about it. And so all of the so-called gore and stuff kind of takes a back seat to the beauty of the meaning of it all, which is about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, every bit of it. There's not a verse in Leviticus that doesn't apply. I'm fully uh, convinced that on the road to Emmaus, Jesus spent a little time in Leviticus. I'm sure he spent some time in Isaiah too and Jeremiah and a few others and so forth. But uh, I'm sure he spent some time here. I know he spent some time probably in Genesis, Exodus and those kind of things. But nonetheless, we're studying about Jesus Christ. That's it's called Sunday school. That's what we're here for, studying about Jesus Christ. Thank you for your patience with us. I do want you to know, I'm hoping that I didn't appear totally discombobulated, but because I had a rough morning, I left my briefcase and all my notes and outlines and stuff, I believe on the garage floor. <laughs> I don't recall. But I have tried to draw it from my memory, and that's a real test right there. <laughs> and so, uh, and nonetheless, we're rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that lamb without spot, the bull without spot. All of those things had to be without spot because they symbolized the offering of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, all these things found their fulfillment in your ministry and in your lifetime and in your death. Graphically displayed outside the camp where the trash was thrown. But you, Lord, but you, Lord, suffered outside the camp for us. 
And we're so thankful for these things that remind us of that and symbolize that and are shadows and pictures of the things to come. And now you have come. And all these things now are passing away. But Father, we can learn from them. Mighty things about your glory, about your person, and about your way of dealing with our sin. Help us, dear Lord, throughout our lesson and the whole series to understand and grasp what Moses was given from you. We know you spoke to him directly and there was good reason to do so. Help us to understand your words given to Moses and then given to us. We ask your blessing upon this in Jesus' name. Amen.